People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode three of series six of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series, Uh, but each episode we are going to hear one poem from a new voice from not just the UK, but around the globe. Hands on the wheel of your old Vauxhall, the driver's seat material well worn, silk cut purple super kings, M&S aftershave and mint imperials, a serial smoker. The clutch kangaroos the engine into fourth, a year ago today you became nothing but fumes. Handshakes for straight faced squaddy mates in slaughterhouse cow shoes, political ties dyed blue, working man for the few, our eyes never aligned. Even the dinner we shared before you, The problem was, you said that my luxury never gave me a clue. Naive boy, I didn't repeat. Plinth, paper, steady voice. Not then, it wouldn't have been right. Instead, stories of Woolacoon bodyboarding. A five Malcolm Crescent on Boxing Day. Of those air rifles and hand-slip fivers, we retired into old Duke's cushions. Shirt collars unbuttoned, your sons, my cousins and me. Let the bell ring for... Vest, slippers, joggers, daily mail, wagon wheel, clues for crosswords, army van and ration packs. You delivered them into my student dorms like it was your duty. Private property, Ministry of Defence, loot and born, Merseyside made, silly, really, severely ditty from the start. It got worse towards the end. Helter skelter, shaking knees. You couldn't face crowds without collapsing like communism, your favourite joke. We coined it anxiety. The doctor confirmed it minor heart attack. My dad tried to resuscitate you. Bare chest, morning, Monday, autumn. The leaves were falling. You never saw Brexit. So close to family joke. All those times we argued about you not seeing the impact of your vote. Well, you'd say, that's your problem. We learnt not to listen. Why did we not listen? I chuckle over the kangaroo and clutch. Thanks for the Vauxhall, Grandad. But I hear the Germans do a better version. A big thank you to Rory Aaron for sending in that piece. Very excited about this episode's guest. I get to sit down and chat to the wonderful Holly McNish. We talk about her brand spanking new forthcoming collection, Slug, sex education, parenthood, among many other things. I am very excited about today's guest i'm joined by the wonderfully prolific holly mcnish holly thank you for for sitting down with a cup of tea makes a difference normally i'm in a pub but we've both got a cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's get tea. <laughs> what a world we live in yeah thank you for joining me that's all right thanks for having me how's uh lockdown 3.0 as i'm calling it treating you <laughs> uh it's rubbish yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Some people seem to be finding it enlightening, but it's a bit rubbish and it's a bit of a juggle. It's all right. Like I'm, I'm all right. I can't complain so much, but yeah. 
couple of couple of deaths funerals that you can't mm. get to like sort of juggling work after the daughter's in bed it's fine but it's still rubbish yeah I've not yeah. had any sort of enlightening moments like some people seem to have had I, I, I sort of anticipated that answer watching your <laughs> your um poetry live things you've been doing on a Sunday and normally lo- lockdown gets yeah. mentioned don't they every week you know? <laughs> yeah so it's only because I've had a lot of people been, have you started meditating have you started doing this like no 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 <laughs> that's no, fair enough no if I, I i thought this would be a a real chance to do things other than teaching and finally finish bits of writing i've got going on and maybe i'd start yoga and yeah no, none of that none of that <laughs> one thing i've done one thing i've started um learning spanish well i've i've learned spanish i've been trying for years but i finally got like a teacher an online teacher once oh, a amazing. week so that's pretty cool this woman in colombia that teaches me spanish once a week yeah that was the the treat that's the only <laughs> only language i actually enjoyed learning at school and i took it at a level but the problem i found was because i dropped it halfway through is that once you get to a level they stop teaching you useful things to say oh, and it's yeah. all about like writing in the subjunctive if you're going to write to a politician you have to write in this manner when am i going to use that yeah so, so I sort of that's, that's a shit we couldn't do it in our school so i always had a bit of a bit of bee in my bonnet about it so it's yeah. quite good <laughs> well, there you go lockdown has brought something good, <laughs> yeah. good to your life so let's let's start at the start um and a, a lot of people ask uh, you know when did you start writing poetry but i want to see if you can remember when you first became aware of poetry because from seeing other interviews with you in i think you've had quite a long relationship with it. it was quite young that you you remember sort of writing poetry but is there a moment or a specific poem uh, being read to you or that you read that you can remember the first time you were aware of poetry yeah and I wish I could just it's a podcast I realized so nobody can see anything but like just behind me by my bed I've got this tiny little um library I used to call it with three mini poetry books in it and it's like Roger McGough and Alan Alberg but I remember those poems being by my bed so it's not like I wrote loads when I was little (laughs) like sometimes I've seen people doing intros and it's like she started writing at the age of six like, I didn't write a lot I've just found a couple of poems that I wrote then <laughs> but um I remember please Mrs Butler yes I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that that's that's probably one of the first books I can remember oh, Butler. I just love it so much and I remember the pie in the sky poem about mm. waiter there's a pie in my sky remove it at once and that was the first like surreal poem I think I ever heard um and then there was a Another one called When Betty Eats Spaghetti. But I've got this one as well. Not that this is called the very first poetry book. So this is one of the first ones I had. So I had this one and then I had this little mini collection of three. I only liked about three in this book and it's When Betty Eats Spaghetti and it's about farting and burping. Um, So yeah, it was like funny kids poems, but I really remember Please Mrs. Butler. I just thought this is so funny. I used to read it over and over again. (laughs) I I think I liked it because it made, um, it kind of made my world funny. Like sometimes. Mm. Even as a kid, you go into school and you think this is boring. But, yeah. yeah, and there was just from that there was there's another one, but I can't remember who it's by. But it's about the head teacher, so it's about somebody moaning about having to go to school, and the last lines are like the kids will really miss you if you don't go after all you are the head teacher and that one blew my mind thinking oh my god do teachers find it boring too <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't believe it do they get like yeah. happy it's a snow day 
I think uh, it might be Alan Oldberg as well. I'm not sure. I think I think you mentioned snow days. I think that we've seen the end of those. I was thinking about this uh, last year. Now that we've got all this remote learning, I don't think I don't think the kids are going to ever experience the joy of a snow day. Ah, uh, do you know this is going to make me sound like a terrible parent, especially because you're a teacher. <laughs> but I actually said to my daughter, if we wake up any day this week and it is like covered in snow, and I can yeah. like shift my work, then we'll have a snow day i am all for snow days if there was a campaign (laughs) teacher led bring snow day back i would be fronting that campaign you've you've had a awareness approach you for a long time since you were quite small as we just spoke about but when you started writing it obviously it's something you've been doing as a child now and then writing bits as well but what triggered i don't know how to phrase it not turn professional but what when was that moment that you thought actually i'm going to try and get this stuff I've been creating out there somehow this sounds really cringy I guess but and I know lots of people say it but I didn't really think about it like that like I really love writing poems and I still do write way more than I'll ever share like I've got loads of half poems or poems about things that I don't want people to read or about other people that I wouldn't share anyway but the first time that I thought I'd go and read them to someone like not my mum or my um, daughter's dad at the time I was reading them to him quite a lot uh, was at the poetry cafe and I in Covent Garden and I went there for like about a year sort of looking at it and not going in Um, but it was a mixture of things just thinking like what I started sort of thinking what's the point like do you want to read these to other people yeah like or because I, I I think I'd be quite happy still just writing for myself. People seem to stress about like that you have to share things you've written, and I don't feel like that. Um, but I, it was my mum and my daughter's dad that was sort of saying, "Look, you keep reading these poems to us. Maybe it would be, maybe you should read them to other people as well. Yeah. Especially him saying maybe you should read them to other like girls or women your age, um, the ones that were more relevant in that way." Um, so I I just sort of thought, okay, I'll try to do that. But it wasn't really with the intention of carrying on. I sort of, I've made this pact to myself that I do it as in like things that you think, all right, I'm too scared to do this. So I'll go and do it and I'll read these poems and I'll go to this open mic and I'll read them out and then I'll stop and then that'll be fine. Um, but then at the first open mic, I got asked to do another one by a guy in London, John Paul O'Neill asked me to do like Farragut Poetry, it's called. Um, and then at that one, I got asked to do another one. And then I made another pact to say, all right, I'll, <laughs> I'll read the poems if someone asks me. But if no one asks me, then I won't. Like the idea of like forcing poems on anyone but my mum yeah. <laughs> felt a bit mean. Um, but then I got, uh, yeah, basically, I, I guess I got asked again to read them at other places without sounding too much of a wanker. Um, <laughs> and then it sort of escalated a bit and I obviously enjoyed it like it was nice I don't know if I enjoy enjoy the standing on stage bit but I enjoy like sharing stuff and hearing other people's and chatting to people after and seeing people's reactions and things um and then yeah then the conservatives got in and my job in a charity the whole organization got closed down Mm. (laughs) so I got uh, I could either try to do that or try to find another job but that was after like one publication after about four years of doing gigs and yeah stuff like that yeah they're good at that aren't they the tourists quashing the life out of anything <laughs> taking any youth charity yeah. <laughs> yeah um no i mean that that sounds kind of similar to I, i've not 
got up on stage half as much as I should have. And I guess I was just writing poems for myself. And when I started writing poetry, I think, and still to this day, sometimes I think, does anybody care what I've got to say? This has already been said, surely. Uh, I'm guilty of thinking that a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but then I must have wanted to perform because I used to write books and sell them to my sister when we were like seven. Oh. I was like, you, you, can, you can only read it. I need 10p, but you can't buy it. <laughs> So, oh, that's so good. That's so out of order. So out of order. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. I used to try and write fake poems because my brother was really into sort of Edgar Allan Poe and that sort of thing. And I wasn't really like that as a teenager so much. Yeah. I was more kind of, I don't know, listening to Shakira and playing netball. That's how he puts it anyway. And um, I don't think that sums up my entire teenage personality, but there you go. <laughs> but I used to try and write fake poems, like deep, as I'd call them, his sort of deep. Yeah. deep and meaningful sit in your bedroom on your own kind of listening to Ginsberg poems to see if I could fool him into thinking that one of mine was actually like <laughs> like I don't know one of that he loves. I never never did manage funnily enough at 12 years old but <laughs> that's amazing like a, uh, someone who copies art for a living the old Rembrandt's like strain for strain <laughs> trying to catch my brother out <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been writing and performing now because I mean, obviously, writing a long time, but actually, as you said, the poetry cafe in London was that that first one. How long has that been since then? Then. So I think I was twenty-two. No, no, like twenty-four, probably. It was after I'd I'd been doing like a part-time masters in um I was studying economics in London, so I was yeah. up there like two days a week, and then it was after that. So I think probably about about twenty-four, and I'm now. Nearly 38, so 14, yes. February, <laughs> are you a February baby as well? Is your birthday this month? Yeah. Yeah. Mine's, yeah. Uh, mine's Very Wednesday. soon my birthday is, so I'm excited. Are you as well? Yeah, mine's Wednesday. Very, very close. Oh. Yeah. Mine's Friday. Wow. Aquarius, <laughs> so I'm told. Exciting. Not that, I'm not that I know about that, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, since then, your, your career has been... Uh, illustrious to say the least I mean Ted Hughes award you've gone to Abbey Road and recorded you've had all these wonderful books out but on, on the flip side of that you have had some horrendous bellends you know criticize you as well haven't you you know and you've dealt with that as well I mean how how this is such a broad question but how has been navigating all of that been I mean the Ted, <laughs> like... Ted Hughes is up here and then you know <laughs> Some of these absolute, as I said, bellends down there. It's you've had everything. Oh, that's funny, horrendous bellends. That's great. Um, it totally depends on the comments. I I think because I started sharing stuff when I was a bit older, and I know twenty four is not that old, but a lot of people start sharing stuff now with all social media and stuff when they're a lot younger than that, or lots of people started going to open mics a lot younger. I noticed. So I think by then. I think I was pretty thick skinned and it depends on the comments because if somebody like criticism, I, I like, and I learn mm -hmm. from, and there's lots of poems I put up from that. I wrote when I was like 20, I probably disagree with part of it. Or I remember I put something up about um, tanning salons, which sounded like really derogatory to people that do like very kind of orangey fake tan and that sort of thing. I think I should have been pulled up on because it was a really I don't know, just stupid thing to put in a poem, um, and yeah. which I disagree with now, and really annoys me when people sort of 
take the piss out of anyone for different beauty things that they would try and do in this world that sort of thing um or I've got one that sounds a bit like it's anti-plastic surgery and I, I'm not in that way like stuff like that that I didn't really think through that much um I guess other times people just called me like an ugly bitch or like a whore or like a prude or whatever so stuff like that I think I'm all right with it and then the actual like I've been laid into a few times just about being a totally shit writer or a really terrible poet and that it depends how it's done I guess like somebody can not like what I write and I've not been trained in writing but I think at first I was sort of would just take it and be like yeah yeah yeah, you're right I'm really terrible yeah you're right I'm really terrible I've never studied poetry I'm really awful I'm definitely not professional but now after being criticized a lot I sort of I sort of don't agree with it (laughs) anymore I agree with some of it um but yeah, I'm getting, I think I'm getting better at actually standing up for myself when I think that I should and not just being really like self-deprecating. Mm. <laughs> Weirdly, like some of the uh, articles that have been really critical, <laughs> there, was, there was a quote that I made about nobody told me saying a lot of these poems are a bit sort of scrappy because I, I wrote it when I had a new baby and you don't have a lot of time. So yeah. I remember thinking I can either edit these poems or I can write more but I don't really have time to do both to a standard that I'd really like and that sort of thing. So I've sort of criticised my own poems, but then when somebody else does, it was like, oi. <laughs> like I'm, I can say that about my cousin, but yeah. you can't say that about my cousin yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe criticism is quite good because it makes me, gets me a bit thick-skinned and also makes me realise what I don't agree with in yeah. in terms of the writing. I think, yeah. I think though, you have had, uh, at points in your career already like just as I said criticism that that wasn't warranted at all there's constructive criticism and then there's these elitist uh I, I can't say bellends for a third time but I'm gonna um because yeah that and I think they do more damage than good really when they when they speak about people's work like that and I know one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I, I was sick and tired of people for years I, I kept poetry a bit of a secret because of my working class roots I thought oh no that's not really what we do in this this world yeah we're not, we're not allowed to venture into poetry and then just as you said you get a bit older and thick skin to the world so I started this podcast um to to talk to people like yourself and show that you know there are all sorts of poetry and poems in the world uh and you've said before I think that you feel that there's a bit of a economic class divide in the arts and that working class poets it's it's hard for them do you think that's still the case in in 2021 because I I definitely think there is yeah it's got to be like I'm not from a working class background like from when from my grandparents were but I'm definitely not and I only say that because I think so often I get asked to like represent the working classes or like single mothers or like they get put into boxes that it is not fair for me to take because then it goes yeah. in the way of somebody that actually is so but yeah of course like there's got to be in the arts doesn't there because it's not a definitely lucrative career so and it seems I guess <laughs> with my family they've sort of you know it's like a, the rest of my family are nurses and teachers and like the other side owns a grocery store for like four generations or the the local post office or like set up businesses and stuff it's not 
is not like an arts <laughs> family. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. forget that people are brought up in an like an arts family in that way. Um, so yeah, the idea of saying you want to be a writer or whatever is scary. I think if you've like I'm in a more privileged position in that I could do it and then change jobs if it didn't work out, basically. But if you're from a, like a very like poor family as well it's like no fucking wonder if you say you want to try and be a poet you could do it. but um the, the snobbery I think is in in how it's shared as well I mm. think it's like I know social media is so there's such like horrendous sides to it but I do also think without it like it's so much more democratic things like YouTube and Instagram and whatever the fact that anyone can put their stuff out there I think yeah. it's amazing because if it was still all the gatekeepers of who gets published and who you know gets given a slot in this open mic reading or whatever then we wouldn't be hearing half the voices we're hearing not because they're not as good writers but just because there's not it's just yeah, yeah limit, it's like limited 300 access. years of limits on stuff like that um so I do find that amazing but I do find it quite funny now still after like what I've written four books of poetry and a play and I'm still always like called like an insta poet or a youtube poet or a slam poet in loads of things I do which yeah. is fine but it's like oh you're just desperate not to like allow somebody to just be called like a writer or a, po- or a poet yeah um, so I do find that quite funny like as soon as I use any platform it's like, oh, you're an Insta poet. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm taking pictures of a poem from a fucking 400-page book and putting on Instagram. But yeah, like, I've never been called a book poet or a page poet. Or yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's so. I think there's quite a lot of weirdly quite a lot of snobbery in how poetry is shared. No, there it's is. Like, you're right. Just how it's just how it's being shared to people and yeah, or accessible. I get called accessible a lot so much that it's become a bit of a joke with me like with the publishers for the next book I was like please just don't print accessible as a quote on the cover because it's like <laughs> it's become like a bad word it's like yeah. oh actually Holly it is accessible because my vocabulary I guess I write poems the way that I think rather than the way that I'd write an essay for example um but it's always used in a bad way by like more kind of highbrow stuff it's like oh it's so accessible it's like Jesus is that <laughs> Is that a bad thing? It's such, a, such an <laughs> odd insult because you think, well, do you want your poem to be that confusing that nobody takes anything from it then? Like, where, yeah. where, do, where do you draw the line there? Yeah, and oh, surely yeah. there's space for all of it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, there's space for surrealist art and there's space for, like, a picture of a vase of flowers that you know exactly what it is. Sometimes, I was going to say off the back of that, I imagine that these elitists have this little private Facebook group uh, and they they sort of bitch about people like us that write poetry just like do they not get this memo that, that nobody's supposed to understand what we're talking about but yeah that, that <laughs> makes know, perfect sense do you know what I thought the worst thing so one of the article there was an article in PM review and that was like the worst one probably and some of it I could understand like this idea that if somebody thinks that people are just there to like I don't know get get famous if there's not better ways to get famous than write poems and put them online um but there was there was a woman that I I sort of um scrolled down some of the comments on the like PN review page and there was this woman that had written um oh thank god finally like somebody's like 
showing up these slam poets for what they are as it so it even amazes me that people get so annoyed about this stuff as if there's not other things to think about in life really that are more important but um but then she said oh so so glad somebody's you know taken down these poets sort of thing and then somebody commented underneath and, and then she said oh well I haven't actually read any of Holly's work and that made me think like what? God, and, and then I wrote I wrote something underneath it and said, oh, hi, um, I just want you to know that I actually work really hard on my poems and um, and I get that they might not be of this sort of level, but I'm, you know, whatever, I'm learning and I love doing it and I guess I'm sort of learning on the job about writing. And she wrote back, oh, God, I'm so sorry. She was quite like in like a literary organisation, I think in the US. Oh, I'm so sorry, I would never have said that if I thought the actual poet was going to read it. Is that all? I mean, if you think it, say it. And if you think it, you should stand up for what you say. Yeah. And if you don't think it, don't be a bitch. It's like, yeah, love, but it was... I love this idea that, the, that someone taking these slam poets down, like there's a wave of communism in America or something, when they were all like, no, it's coming to get us, these yeah. slam poets. Yeah. And also, you can, you know, I get it. I don't like a lot of poetry that I listen to sometimes in slam competitions. Yeah. And I do think there's, you know... It's, more craftsmanship in some of the like written stuff and all that but god it's there's mm. surely space for it all like and if we ever wanted proof that you weren't in this for the fame i saw an amazing quote <laughs> from you the other day uh not the other day when i was researching the other day that said that you you paid to get in your own gig once because you felt, <laughs> felt so awkward sitting in the dorm and you're a poet. I think that is amazing. <laughs> so that that was a bang said the gun gig. Do you know that? It's like yeah, an organisation yeah. in London and I love their gigs. Yeah. That's another thing though, isn't it? Not being, I know it sounds so silly, but I was brought up in a village and my family aren't like uncultured in any way whatsoever, but I just find it funny when I meet people who's like, families are in writing or literature or in the arts or whatever I sort of forget that 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 exists as a thing in in families um so that intimidation that's why I like social media as well like I don't think people that are used to theatres and stuff realize how intimidating it is to go into one sometimes like it's so intimidating and I did you know like a three-week stint in Battersea Arts Centre which was amazing but even then going in I was like, I'm not sure where I'm allowed to sit or if I can sit in this cafe or if I'm allowed to go into this area. Yeah. Um, and, and the poetry cafe was the same. Like I went in, but you have to go downstairs to where they read the poems. And that right. is the only reason I didn't go in there for like a year because I thought if I go down these stairs and this has already started or I walk in and I'm like, I can't see the, the where the chairs are and where the, the microphone is what if I go in someone's reading and I like the <laughs> amount of worry just about walking into a place um so that sort of you know that sort of snobbery I find really ridiculous because yeah. not everyone's comfortable in these spaces and yeah the the banks of the car it was lovely and it was in like a pub upstairs in a pub but I went in and the the woman on the door was like oh that's five pound please and I was like all right yeah yeah fine <laughs> took it out and and it was out I'd been doing it for like two years I think by then and I was headlining the the gig they normally have two headliners and um and then Dan who runs it shouted have you just paid to get in Holly what are you doing which was even more embarrassing <laughs> I didn't want to be a dickhead and be like oh yeah. no, actually I'm here to read the poems <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better I I, I feel very awkward in theatres too and first time I took my partner to a theatre 
we were, I took her to the Lion King. I'd never been to the West End or anything before. Uh, oh, and I just nice. assumed that all the animals come out and that's a normal part of theatre. And she was like, no, that's just this show. I was like, oh, oh. They, don't, they, don't, <laughs> they don't come into the crowd normally. I was like, oh, it's a bit pricey then if they don't. <laughs> you started on a good one then. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably the only one we've been to, I think, <laughs> in about five years. But there you go. What I love about what you're doing with social media as well, you use your your platform as, as a force for good. There's there's lots of things you, you talk about, which amazingly, I, I think in 2020, 2021, don't get as much coverage as they should. I like that you hold to account lots of companies and marketing and things like that about gender equality, especially in the media. I mean, what was it you were talking about the other day? I think, I think it was uh, bodily fluids and how how male bodily fluid you've seen articles about you know how you can see men in your face and stuff which apparently is like all right to do apparently it is actually a good voice (laughs) i've read that a few times yeah yeah yeah. whereas like breast milk is the devil and it's you know it shouldn't be done in public um and this this other thing that you talk about a lot is reading poems about sex in schools as well which I think it's great because I think with all this online stuff, and I think you've termed the the phrase practical advice before, but I think it is about, you know, I work in a, a boys' school as well. And yeah. we, ha- we have nurses come in um, and they, they have like two days of it. And admittedly, it's 10 times better than when I was at school, what, 12, 15 years ago, whenever it was. Yeah. But I still think sometimes there's there's just loads that they have missed out. So what is, what's the reaction like? I guess if a school invites you in, they 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 expect you to be doing stuff like that. Oh, I don't know. Not always. So no. in no, sometimes I I get like panic emails. I got I got invited by a teacher once. So I guess it depends who invited me. I got invited by a teacher in an all girls Catholic school where she'd had I think they'd had something like two or three of the girls were pregnant, um, in the year ten and eleven group. Um, and she said, you know, we have absolutely no, we're not allowed to talk about, like it's a very strictly Catholic education and we're not allowed to talk about it. But obviously because of that, like I'm really, really anti-demonising teenage pregnancies. Like, I think that's, I spoke about it a lot in another book because I think our sex education is so horrendous. And as a girl, there's so much pressure to like go all the way and other things not really counting. Mm. Um, and I've worked with quite a lot of teenage mums I know this is a bit, I don't know, whatever to say, but like the the girls I've worked with that have got pregnant, like 15, 16, none of them have ever had an orgasm, but yet they're like, you know, lust and desire is like blamed for them being pregnant. So that kind of thing in our society drives me really, whoa. Um, but I got asked to go in by a teacher, an English teacher, but then I got an email from the head teacher the day before to be like, oh, um, hello, I've just watched some of your videos um, I didn't realise you did that. Um, could I just let you know that you cannot do any poems about sex and you cannot do any poems? I can't remember what else it was. There was like two things. <laughs> so the sort of reason the English teacher had asked me to go in was also then picked up by like the head. So I don't know how things work in schools a lot, but that's happened a few times where one mm. teacher's been like, yeah, 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 anything is fine. Um, and then another teacher's been like, oh, but I don't think this one. So it's a bit... Um, thing is I don't think people think I'm like stupid I'm not stupid I'm not going to go into you know a year eight group and do a set of poems about cunnilingus like it's not (laughs) not that I think that you know but I'm not 
I'm obviously going to gauge it at a different level, but it amazes me the stuff in schools that, yeah, we still don't talk about, especially to do with safe sex. Mm. So I've, <laughs> I've had, I've had some ask me to do it and it's really nice to see the reaction. Like I've got one poem about a really bad hand job that one of my friends tried to do on her boyfriend because none of us knew how you were meant to touch a penis. So it's this short poem called Yanking. There's no swearing in it. It's like basically how she like tried to wank him off as if it was a lever because we knew you had to go up and down. So she held his penis and basically almost broke it and he had to go to hospital. So it's a poem <laughs> about that. Um, and that poem I've been asked to read out by about three school nurses when yeah. I've got into it. Um, and I've read that poem out in front of year nine plus, but done, you know, a, like a funny introduction and being like, okay, this is about touching a penis. And one of my friends had a boyfriend and she wanted to do this. And the kids, like, I don't mean they love it, but they want to talk. They want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember after that, well, that was in Switzerland though. So maybe <laughs> an international school but afterwards this group of like 14 13 year olds came around and they were just asking like what happened to the boy <laughs> sorry this little girl was like oh my gosh if I ever want to do that to to a boyfriend I'm I'm gonna be really scared now and this little boy next to her who was about 11 was like you'd be scared it's my willy that might be broken and I thought <laughs> I don't know I don't know what the fear is to talk to kids about this stuff or do you know poems about it yeah. um but yeah so every time I've done it in schools and done you know certain poems and about periods and about like yeah safe sex or like funny stuff that happened and all the the poems the, the thing I find weird is, is a lot of poems that I've written about scenarios that happened to me at like 13, 14, 15. But yeah, I'm not allowed to read them to 13, 14, 15 year olds. Yeah, that's that's so, mad when you think about that. Mm, not sure. But then, yeah, it's I think it is getting more open and teachers are just worried that they're going to get in shit for it. So I totally get it. Yeah, it probably is a lot of that, especially like the social climate. It's people just go on social media and then that's it. The, once that snowball starts rolling. Yeah, totally. But I think the arts is pretty cool to be able to get in like a quite a few teachers have been like this is really great that you can read this because I wouldn't be able to get someone in to talk about specifically to talk about this stuff yeah that's true but if I get a poet in to read poems about it then I can yeah yeah so, yeah I mean I would love it if you turned off our school I'd be like yeah do you know what <laughs> I would absolutely love to like do a reading for a boys school for the like for the next book because there's so much about the censorship in schools in the book about poems that I've written that I've put in the book well I will, well, I will get to work I will see what can happen yeah that, that, could to, be cool. be that could be cool <laughs> the other before we start talking about some of your books and and slug obviously we're going to talk about slug your new book coming out feminism I, I've seen you talk about before and I think you had the same experience with that umbrella term feminism that a lot of my students at, at school do because it's a, a boys school whenever I'm so I, I teach English but I teach media and film as well so in media and film oh, nice. we, we do like stuff about representations that are created so feminism comes into it a lot and we talk about theories uh, and because a majority of them are sort of these middle class uh, you know feminism and all surrounded by boys they they just see feminism as this dirty word i was gonna say do you do you still feel that there's a lot of people that view the femi feminism in this sort of closed-minded mindset these days 
Yeah, me included, I'd say. I think my reaction to that to that word mm. when people started calling me a feminist poet after I'd done like four gigs, I think, four readings, and I got this article written about me being a feminist poet, and I was so annoyed about it, I asked them to take the word feminist out of the article. So that was when I was <laughs> like mid 20s and I still had had it ingrained to me so much that that was such a bad word mm. that the idea of being called it was like an insult so I definitely was not I wasn't brought up in like a non-feminist family in terms of what people were like and doing a mm, little bit in terms of like gender balance of like domestic chores and stuff like that yeah. um but it's not like I would say, you know, my mom, aunties, cousins are not feminist, but it's, it, it's not a family that's comfortable with the word or with the word woman, really. I write about that a lot. And I like used to get told off for using the word woman rather than lady or girl. Um, or if I was talking about like the football team, the women's football team, I would get told off calling it the women's team and not the ladies team. That's all shit. So I can understand why people are don't want to say they're a feminist and it sort of annoys me a little bit when um when groups are so adamant about you using the word I know that sounds really stupid like I definitely use it now but I think the most important thing is to actually like be a feminist rather yeah. than feel comfortable wearing a t-shirt that says I am a feminist which honestly even now I wouldn't feel comfortable wearing because I'm not in a family or a group of people where if, if I wore a T-shirt like that, and I've been offered a lot of slogan T-shirts about vulvas and girls masturbate too, and all this stuff, which I totally, totally fight for everything behind it. But if I wore that walking down the street with my friends, all that would happen would be that I'd be ridiculed. Like, it's not, yeah. it wouldn't. I'm not in like a liberal sort of trendy city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but atmosphere and I do think it's it's stuff like that is is great <laughs> really good but I also think it's often not very inclusive of like working classes especially um and there's a sort of confidence that you need for that sort of thing which I think is bloody brilliant but I stupidly don't have it yet yeah I don't know or maybe it's just the fear because every time every time anyone calls me a feminist or or if I even put the word woman in a poem and it's online that's when I'll get like called a whore or told I need to put a cock in my mouth or like yeah I think knowing the backlash with stuff like that mm. and you know if you've got a group of boys like it's quite a big thing for a teenage boy to say to a group of boys I'm a feminist like yeah. you might get beaten the shit out of for saying it you know I think there's some <laughs> situations where actually it should just let let the sort of people's actions do the talking rather than needing to be comfortable labeling things in a certain way yeah there was a like <laughs> um is it Darren McGarvey's book Poverty Safari I remember it's such a good book and there's a line in it where he goes to like the west end of Glasgow for the first time and um he sees people wearing sort of different kind of clothing and he says oh this is the sort of clothing people can wear when they're not scared of being beaten up for wearing like the wrong tracksuit bottom sort of thing yeah yeah. I, I feel like that about a lot of these a lot of these labels no I think I think mm. it, it makes a lot of sense I, I think when I when I do those lessons that is the main thing I try to get through to them like the 
what it is to be a feminist not not like you must go and do this but it, it's the sort of stuff that now you should just do as standard you know you shouldn't uh, have these old derogatory views I guess you know yeah. outdated views yeah and to question your views isn't it certain things like I guess with the bodily fluids like things that I found disgusting about my own body I thought just were disgusting like even even breastfeeding I guess like I breastfed my daughter totally fine everything was fine physically with it didn't find it problematic didn't have much cramps but I felt like disgusted sometimes by myself yeah when I was sat with a baby drinking milk out of my nipple and literally sometimes it made me feel and it's <laughs> it's not a terrible thing to say but it's a terrible thing to feel and like questioning that and thinking why the fuck do I feel so weird mm. feeding this baby and I did feel so weird and I did it and there was no fucking way I was gonna like support Nestle formula milk when I didn't need to um just that company I don't mean formula milk in general but like um so I was really adamant to do it sort of for political reasons and if it all went well physically but psychologically yeah I was like why is the first thing I'm thinking of a cow and why do I feel disgusting and then you think it's culture isn't it like this isn't disgusting I've just been made to totally find things gross because of the culture that we're in and like picking apart all of the like with the word vulva I talk about it so much online I don't feel very comfortable talking about it but that's also just because I've been brought up told not to feel comfortable with it yeah you know it's like just trying to question stuff all the time at the moment that you think is normal to be like grossed out by or whatever i think you're right we are we are embedded with these preconceived notions aren't we because of everything around us so um, yeah it's probably quite interesting sitting there and actually i'm picking everything picking apart like why do i hate my own sweat <laughs> is it because it stinks is it because it's gross like <laughs> what, yeah. why is it <laughs> i mean that leads us nicely on to just talk about some of your previous existing work before we get around to slug um nobody told me is like monumental isn't it i mean I, when i whenever i look at that book or, or delve in it for a poem i always think how did you put this together not only generally but also finding the time to write it as a brand new parent for for the first time i think it's such (laughs) such an achievement but for anyone who hasn't read it it, it's like a a diary and poems from that day you found out on the way to glastonbury that you were pregnant to is it preschool the end yeah when my daughter it kept going on i kept right writing more so it's meant to start when she was young and then i was like "Mm." (laughs) i see a lot a lot of people asking you before like who are these poems for they're all about motherhood but who are they for which I think is a mental question because I'm a childless male <laughs> on the cusp of 30 and I love that book because I feel so much less anxious about when the time comes now having read oh, that good uh, that's so good that's such a nice thing to say and I yeah. totally I'm really happy that you said it because I find it really that I think that's quite a prejudice mm, and it's yeah. one that spans like racial gender motherhood all sorts of prejudice but the idea when some when it was like they were trying to get it published my agent a lot of people like we just don't know who it's for because if it's like a book about parenting it's not really a guide to parenting and it was just like who's going to read this it's just going to be mums that are going to read it don't get me wrong there's a lot of (laughs) a lot of mums and parents that do read it for that reason but I was like 
I've read so many, like the whole point of reading for me is to see other people's worlds. Like I don't only read books about my own experience. That would be really boring. (laughs) So the idea that nobody could want to read a book because it's about an experience of a a mum is quite, it's quite a sort of bigoted thing to think definitely i mean going back to what we were just saying about these these preconceived ideas that are instilled into you i have always been so scared of having a child because i'm not ready i'm not ready i'm never going to be ready i need (laughs) to learn all these things and and reading that as i said as let's be honest cusp of 30 someone who's probably within the next decade going to have a child um yeah I, i just i feel totally prepared but i'm not prepared and that's that's what I, t- I take from that mm. book, and it's it's the end. It's probably in my top three favorite endings to a like collection of of poetry. Where when you're taking a not to spoiler alert, not to to ruin. That's all right. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> but when when you're when you're taking a to, to uh, are you picking her up? Sorry, aren't you from play school? And and she says, "Oh, it was good. But I'm not going to go back." And, uh, <laughs> and you think. I, I forgot to tell her it's not one day. I'm rubbish at this. <laughs> I just think, man, that is such a good, such a good ending that just captured the whole sort of journey. Ah, thank yeah, you. I love it. I mean, that that you must have been nervous releasing that into the world. Yeah, really nervous. Really nervous about it. Um, yeah, but I guess the thing that makes it slightly ne- less nerve wracking is just having had people's feedback because I was sharing some of the poems that were in there online and stuff. And even, it sounds really, oh, I don't know how it sounds, but even having one person say, this was really helpful, or like, you know, whatever, I felt also like a cow trying to feed my daughter, and now, you know, I feel all right about it, or whatever it is, you know, yeah. or, you know, my pregnancy wasn't <laughs> a perfect, like, oh, great, I'm pregnant sort of moment. Um, so I was worried about it, but I don't feel like it's that, it is really personal that book and the stuff I write in general but I'd have more of a problem for example sharing like what my daughter's favorite toy was or a present she'd given me for Mother's Day and stuff so I guess like the idea of sharing I don't know stuff about sex after birth or whatever they're things I, I'm not an individual I think the same as what millions of people would be thinking about stuff I don't you know have any preconceived idea that oh this is a very individual thought no one would be thinking this so I guess if I think it and write a poem about it it's likely that other people are going to be having the same thoughts and feelings about things Um, so yeah I was I was I was worried for lots of reasons but it turns out all right so I think it made me less worried to share other things but yeah I still like wouldn't want to share a photo of my daughter like for that whole book I'd prefer to put out that whole book than one picture of her I but guess that, I mean to, to me that makes total sense I don't, I don't know why I just think yeah that that stuff is to do with, with you and like you said your thoughts that other people like sharing I've always thought people sharing pictures of their kids loads and loads that that's I don't know that's just come back to bite them uh, yeah maybe I don't know I think it's because my brother hated having any photos shared or shown of him when he had friends around and stuff and then I thought god what if my daughter's like that when she's older but then also like some people do it for s- such different reasons and I have weird people following me like I don't mean weird I like weird people but I mean like people that are horrible to me following yeah, me yeah, yeah. so it's a bit more I, f- I think it'd be a bit more 
scary I'd be a bit more scared to share personal things than I think somebody who's mainly going to be like family and friends looking at pictures if that makes yeah. sense Drum, drum and bass is do you like drum and bass because it's it's in the blurb isn't it <laughs> yeah. talk about it in there um and I, i've i actually uh had like quite a few people i used to dj drum and bass when when i was oh, growing nice. up and I, I loved it but so many people or my mates that have had kids have said yeah just whack a bit of a dj hype on they go straight off <laughs> yeah it's amazing actually Absolutely, so yeah. i i do like a lot of drum and bass i listen to it less because i'm not with my daughter's dad anymore right, yeah. um, and it was him he's the drum and bass mc for his job so there was a lot of drum and bass going on while I was writing that book I guess in the background but yeah I think it's amazing but that's the thing with all of the all of the advice about parenting a lot of that is it's so white it's so middle class it's all like 35 year old married couples like all the sort of stuff that I read about parenting was it was people that had enough money to have a nursery or decorate it well or you know, and it was like playing Mozart to the kid as if Mozart is going to, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, stuff in drum and bass which is going to go into a kid's head very nicely as well. Um, yeah, so she, yeah. she she slept through anything though. She didn't sleep a lot, but when she slept, it doesn't matter about making a noise. Don't get me wrong. She hardly fucking slept for the first year, but, <laughs> but it didn't matter how loud the house was. Yeah. <laughs> Plum, I just quickly before we get onto Slug, in Plum, you included poems that you had written when you were much younger i mean i still when i flick through plums still get to politicians and think it's amazing um how how do you find because i've had uh demianta on on the podcast previous series she's the only other person i've really spoken about this with but looking back at work that you'd written so young how, how was that experience for you because for me I look back at things I wrote when I was in sixth forms when I probably started writing poetry and I, and I just cringe and I put it back in a box and you're yeah. a big, big advocate of never throwing things away which <laughs> no, <laughs> is kind of like me as well <laughs> but I don't know why I keep it so how was that for you going back through these poems it was just funny like it's I got really chastised for doing that in Plum like one of the reviews of it was like oh Holly thinks she was like a child genius with these poems and and it wasn't that at all. I just thought it was funny. And I thought... Um, Do you make it very I, clear, though, that you, you put the... Don't you write, this is probably one of the worst <sighs> poems I've ever written. I know, honestly. <laughs> and it was... Dope, but I just think it would be nice for, like, younger people as well to read. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. yeah, I could have thrown them all away. I've still got them all in, like, the little diaries. I thought it was just there, but it's not. Um, I, I Basically, I did that for Plum as well, because my daughter was was about six or seven I think when I wrote that and I started to think god you're really smart like the way that you think about the world and about what's fun um and we always act like kids are sort of stupider than adults and in a way obviously they're much less knowledgeable (laughs) they don't know as many things yeah but I think they also you know learn these social behaviors which are actually a bit crap (laughs) as well like they learn good ones like not to be such a selfish prick but like (laughs) they learn they learn bad ones as well um and the way that she sort of like looked at nature or stopped every two minutes to like look at a dandelion or whatever all that sort of stuff so that's when I started going back and reading poems just to see what I was also thinking at that sort of age Mm, or a bit older and I actually just thought it's quite nice to put that voice in 
like that you know I was never gonna I never wanted any of those poems to be published but I also think it's quite nice for people to read if they are like 15 16 and writing not to just scramble stuff up and throw it away yeah. um I don't really keep a lot of other stuff like I don't have any of my own furniture it's all like it's all re- like rented in the house and stuff and I don't I don't really keep things I don't really like stuff but with writing I think it's nice to keep it just yeah. because um a lot of the reasons that we'll throw stuff away is just our own sort of inner turmoil when you're younger as well. And it's, I just think it's funny to look back. Like I've, I was reading one the other day that was called uh, Fuck Him Like a Porn Star <laughs> that I'd written when I was, I think I was like 16 and it was my apparently big plan to like <laughs> have sex with this guy that I was going bowling with for my birthday and my mum was picking us up from the bowling alley it's like oh my god this is so funny and that sort of stuff the sex stuff as well I find really interesting because I was like god I was really like <laughs> like really thinking about sex a lot and stuff I didn't really do a lot I was I was I sort of waited um but to see your sort of thoughts as a yeah, teenager yeah. and how stifled actually the education I was getting about that stuff when I was writing about it all the time. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's nice. And I did find it interesting how certain things I was still thinking the, the same. Yeah, about. I, take, I take it at that point you weren't uh, reading your poems to your mum. <laughs> <laughs> no not that one anyway Jesus. she did find one actually and she thought um I was suicidal so it was a bit a bit sad when I was 15 I, I would watch the documentary about suicide and wrote a poem about like characters in my head like um just sort of giving up on the story in my head and stuff and that was and my mum obviously read it and um, when she wasn't meant to be reading my diary and um and it took her about a sort of month. She kept sort of coming on and checking me a lot. And then she just burst into tears and was like, oh, my God, I thought you were happy. And I've read this. And I was like, oh, mum, that's about a documentary that I watched. And she was like, oh, my God, we can stop writing poems. So, yeah, I thought, OK, well, if you're going to be reading my diary, I'll put a thing. This bit is not about me. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So let's, let's talk about Slug. Obviously, very exciting. Uh, comes out May. Yeah, May the 13th. Uh, so... The blurb talks about Finnish saunas, grief, grandparents, <laughs> Kellogg's anti-masturbation pants. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of a blurb, we're, we're in for another classic Holly McNish uh, sort of st- journey through through your brain, aren't we, by the sounds of it? Um, yeah, I think which, so. Which I can't wait for. So, obviously, no one's read it. It's not out yet. What um, what, what are we in for with, with Slug? Uh, so, I'll show you it. It's another sort of chunky one, to be honest. It's it's the same as Nobody Told Me, the length, and it's the same kind of setup. So there's a lot of prose and poetry. And then there's a short story in between each section of poems because Amazing. I really like writing stories. And then I sort of thought, oh, I don't know why we always have to separate all these different forms of writing because I really mm. like writing them all. And I like reading them all when I'm doing different things. Um, so, yeah, it's it's basically a book of, like... Another like memoir looking back um, mixed in with poems about lots of different subjects that growing up I was told to hate. And I don't mean like really like hate, hate. I mean, just told to either be disgusted by or told not to talk about. Um, So there's seven sections. So there's this first section on dying and grief and stuff. Um, and then there's a section on masturbation, an entire section of poems about <laughs> masturbating and stories 
not about me masturbating, but about like certain adverts I'd been asked to do and certain uh, film setups where a like male director had set up a flat to make it look like I was staying in for a night masturbating and that sort of. So hopefully it's quite funny, the stories. Um, and there's a section on strangers, a section on like your reflection, like the beauty industry and selfie culture, which I'm a, a big uh, defender of I guess um I don't like people putting down folk that like to take pictures of their own face and there's a section on growing up called short skirts and assholes which is just about it's sort of about growing up and about the gender roles and about how fucking like angry we seem to get about a guy wanting to put on a dress mm. or like how but how like all the sort of history behind how we seem to have been angry about stuff like that for a long time and how ridiculous I find it it's sort of a book about how ridiculous I find a lot of our UK culture basically yeah, yeah. so it's it's a, I'd say it's a poetry collection but with the sort of reason I wrote the poems in the prose so if the research like Kellogg's anti-masturbation pants which I didn't realize that the guy that invented cornflakes invented cornflakes to stop people feeling sexual that's why it's such a plain cereal so he was a big anti-sex advocate and John Kellogg's invented anti-masturbation pants for little boys, invented cages to put kids in if they couldn't stop wanking. Amazing. It's an amazing history. Awful, but it's yeah. amazing, yeah. Yeah, I never mm. knew any of that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna look forward to reading that. And but I have always wondered why cornflakes were so shit. So I've got an answer already. Well, that is why, yeah. It, because he genuinely thought any spicy or sugary food was too sexual and incited like lewd sin, sinful thoughts. So Kellogg's was meant to be like a bland, I don't want to touch my own genitals sort of meal. Was he married? <laughs> he was, but they never consummated it apparently because he didn't believe in in sexual intercourse. Didn't, but he thought it was too simple. So I think they adopted kids as well. Um, oh. Yeah, he was very into um, clitoral burning and acid sort of clitoral surgery and stuff. Good, good man. Good man. Wow. There you go. Definitely learned something. There you go. That's it. That's what's in the book. You'll look forward to reading poems. <laughs> There's also lots of joyful stuff. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, you've started again your Instagram lives, haven't you, uh, on a Sunday? Uh, yeah. And, and you read from it last night, didn't you? I think we got we got one about Star Wars and spooning, which are definitely <laughs> two of my favourite things. I oh, love I love. Yeah. I, lo I love spooning. But, um, yeah, me too. You, why does Darth Vader make you so sad, or Anakin? Oh, I I genuinely think so my boyfriend put me on to watching star wars because he found out i'd never watched any of them so we did like we always do exact, exactly what Christmas. i've done oh last, really yeah well it's great yeah. yeah but i genuinely think so this is really ridiculous i've watched them like twice again now but the bit where anakin i love anakin hmm. <laughs> so much and i love their like kissing scenes there's all these pauses just before they kiss and it's amazing but but when Anakin becomes Darth Vader, I honestly think it's like the greatest tragic love story that's ever been written. I think it tops Romeo and Juliet. I think it's so sad. Surpassing Heathcliff here as well. Oh my God, way surpassing because it has romantic love in it, but then it also has the love with his kids in it. And I think that sort of love of children and love in families and friendship and stuff isn't talked about enough. So most of the tragic big love stories, they're always like romantic couples love, yeah, which is great. But this has also got the family stuff. So then when like Luke finds out, it's his, and then he finally takes the mask off again. 
I, oh my god I'm in floods of tears and my daughter takes a piss out of me every time so last time <laughs> last time we watched it and he t- took his mask off that I don't know what episode it is then I had to go back and watch him as Anakin because it made me too upset and then I spent about two hours just watching interviews with the actor that played Anakin just to sort of make sure he was all right <laughs> so I really I honestly think it's like the greatest love story ever written I I still, I'm still tearing up even thinking about it. Just to clarify, you're talking about the scene where he looks like a boiled egg. They take the the helmet off at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But just the fact it's awful. He thinks he's like, he thinks he's killed the woman. He doesn't know he's got a child. Then he doesn't know it's twins. And it's like, oh God. And also it's, it's, I I think it's tragic because it's so true Mm. about a lot of, (laughs) you know, whatever, but a lot of people that end up doing really bad stuff because they've had such shit stuff done to them I think it's a very true story and so my daughter was like why are you crying it's just a story and I was like but it's not this is how things like this happen because people have such fucking trauma in their childhood yeah. anyway yeah I'm um I'm a bit obsessed with with Anakin <laughs> 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 and it found its way into slug star wars is <laughs> yeah. love that love that right towards towards the the end i i mean something i want to talk about usually is the editing process and I, i've seen that your editing process is kind of similar to to me in a way in that i've I've read that you said before you don't really sort of sweat over over poetry or the form for you is not the be all and end all um yeah of certain I'd... poems and i'm definitely guilty myself of you know when you get those sessions and you're writing and it's pouring out of you and then you think oh that must be shit because I didn't spend months on that I'm definitely guilty of that yeah. um, so it's it's quite refreshing to see someone else say this on a stage saying well no I don't always sweat over my poetry no and it depends so with nobody told me I did it much less mainly because it was a diary so I didn't want I was like oh this is a diary so this scrappy poem is a bit scrappy because I wrote it at three in the morning and I don't really think it works to then go back and and edit it because that's not the point of why it was written or when it was written yeah like I've edited poems I'd say about half and half so sometimes I'll write it and I think the point of this is like the emotion that I was feeling at the time so I don't really want to edit it with a clearer head because I didn't write it in a clear-headed moment. So I think it's nice for you to see that. Then other poems I basically work my ass off on and edit for <laughs> for ages and ages. Um, Those... And I'm not sure what I'm not sure what the difference is. Like I've I really like short poems and I like editing those. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of long poems that I hear on stage it could be could do with a bit of editing I'd quite like to go back and edit some of the ones in like other books but yeah. that's not that's not the point really I think now so yeah it's like a half and half thing I love the process of editing I actually I actually love trying to find like better ways to say stuff but then I also like poems that you're just like yeah how I'm feeling a question I always ask with with the editing like segment of this podcast is with those poems you do edit once you've written it and you've got it on the page what for you is the first thing you do in terms of the edit with that poem? Um, read it out loud. Read it out loud. Yeah, yeah, just to hear it. Because I think a lot of the things that I like in the poem is the sound of them, even if they're on the page. Um, so I read it out loud. And I, I also read it out loud if it's a longer poem to see if I get bored. 
at some point in the poem like I don't really want to bore people I get really worried about that in gigs as well like I I don't really I don't mind confusing them if it's on the page if it's like a a gig when you just get to hear the poem once I think it's very different if it's spoken and you can't just keep repeating it if they don't get it um (laughs) not that you always have to get poetry but yeah so I I think I don't want it to be too confusing and I don't want to bore people um or myself (laughs) when I'm editing so yeah just reading it out and but then I always if I am actually going to have a day of editing I never have a day of writing it doesn't really work for me like that to just sit down and write I just write when I've got ideas of what to write about normally but with the editing I can be like okay so my daughter's doing a homeschool for three hours I'm going to edit for three hours and and then I always pick up like three poetry books and read other people's poetry that I think is much better than mine before and then I start editing I'm, I'm a big fan I think you have to read lots and lots and lots don't you when you're being creative is is yeah key. it's key nice. so you, you've, you've said that you don't really have a writing time routine but editing is is something that's structured the, I think the age-old question and I've changed it I used to ask towards the end of the interview when 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 is a poem finished but obviously the answer is it's not so yeah. I've changed it to for you when when is it time to leave a poem alone? When my daughter's like, mum, I'm really hungry. When are you <laughs> going to make the dinner? <laughs> oh, dumb, <laughs> dumb. Yeah, it's like, oh God, I don't have time. Mm, I don't know. I think it's when it reaches the point where I think I'm actually going to do more damage than good if I carry on trying to edit it. Yeah. So like I read out a poem on the live thing last night as well called Chatty. And it was about friendship and basically friendship. So lifelong friend. And that poem, I was so desperate to make it like better than it is. And it sounds stupid. I really, I had the, I really wanted to make it quite like a beautiful poem. So I kept mm. reading other people's poems that I thought were very beautiful. Like Seamus Heaney's poems about his wife were lovely. There's like Kim Adonitia about a kid. There's lots of beautiful sort of loving poems. And with that one, I sort of gave up because I just thought, I don't think I can just keep working on this poem. I want to put it in the book. Yeah. Um, I gave up after spending like weeks, trying, not just weeks, like don't get me wrong, I do not have time to just spend weeks working on one poem. I mean like in bed after I've done Marvel work. But yeah, sometimes I just think, you know, maybe you'll be able to get this better in a year after you've read a lot more and written a lot more, but just leave it now. But I still I still go back and correct stuff or correct whatever. Yeah. Um in other books when I'm doing live gigs so quite a lot of the poems I'm reading out from like Cherry Pie and Nobody Told Me I'll have edited because now I want to read it that way but in the book it's obviously going to be the original so yeah I don't know I don't know that live feel it's like making poetry rock and roll it's when they they change lyrics on stage I guess isn't it oh yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. well you could just keep doing it couldn't you some poems I do to be honest this sounds maybe it sounds arrogant but I think I put myself down too much on the writing but there are poems I've got to say shorter ones normally where I'm like great that is literally exactly what I wanted to say and yeah. I'm very happy with the way I wrote one about mushrooms the other day mushrooms and and sex basically I saw, I, that. Like, I saw that I saw that was that the one on Instagram yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I I was writing that for like two hours and I thought I've done it that's it the word frantic that's exactly what I meant right I'm done. I think, I, think, <laughs> Sometimes. I think it's really important though, as you said, that because you, you, you've just said, oh, this sounds arrogant. And I, I think I've written this poem. I don't want to change it. I like it that way. But 
there is that fear that you've gone yep i've completed poetry thanks that's i'm so good at this but it's not sometimes <laughs> it just it just happens it's just magic yeah. yeah and it doesn't mean that somebody couldn't say oh but what about this and you might be like oh yeah that's true or you know well that poem it hasn't got a title yet so i guess it's not totally completed <laughs> title in poetry is a whole another ball game i love it it's one of my favorite i leave it off until the end when i'm doing book edits Mm. um i'll put like a rough title i love doing the titles i just just working with like i worked with don patterson and then helen moore was the editor for slug for the poems like she helped me edit at the end look at them again and it was so cool like thinking the fun stuff you can do with titles yeah I love it it's because it's all sort of mostly done and now it just feels like a game it feels really fun trying to get yeah. the titles right so I, I go around in circles I had a I had a poem last year shortlisted for this um right bloody UK publishing thing oh, nice and but I remember trying to get the title for that poem and it was the first poem really I'd shot an actual video for with a bloke I went to school with who, who does all filming and that. So I felt like, oh my yeah. God, this is this is getting a little bit real now. Mm-hmm. I'm just used to just putting it on Instagram and a couple of people going, that was good, Jim. Yeah, cheers. But um, <laughs> but the title of that one, I'm thinking, you should, I just thought about it so much. I'm like, no, it's got to be cryptic. It's got to be really, it's got to do the poem justice. And then it was called One Town Man in the end. <laughs> so <laughs> I went back to what the draft title was. I was like, oh, I hate this yeah, stuff. Oh, mine normally go back to quite a blunt thing. It was Don Patterson, he was editing Slug, and he was saying there was some poems I was worried they were a bit, (laughs) I worry that things are a bit confusing and my poems normally really are not, like they're pretty (laughs) easy to understand. But I was like, oh, but this doesn't exactly tell people exactly what I want to say. And he was like, well, just tell them in the poem. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so I think I changed one of them to like, like working at Boots the Chemist and he was like just tell them where you are in the title then if you're desperate for them to know that I was like oh yeah it's got like (laughs) it's got a purpose the title actually has a purpose yeah the question I end with then is is quite a broad one but it's one of the main reasons I got into creating this podcast and I, I when I think about it poetry such an old form of literature and here we are in 2021 with the snow on the ground cup of tea chatting for just over an hour about about this this form of literature so in your opinion why do you think we've still got this love affair with poetry because I think it's so free as a way to write I think it's so lovely condensing feelings or stories into like a shorter form Mm. um I think that's why it is because it's freeing it's like you get taught how to talk properly and how to write properly um but I think poetry just gives you this sort of sort of freedom to try new things and I guess a little bit of a freedom maybe to be more in touch with your emotions or more soppy or more amazed by things or more angry or whatever sort of gives you a for me a, an excuse for this like heightened state of emotion to get get down onto a piece of paper I think that's why I like it and even poems that are really structured so even if you're like I want to write this in sonnet form mm. you're still sort of questioning your own feelings or view or, or a view that you're looking at out your window or whatever I think it's great I guess like what the haiku would do in its most condensed form yeah that yeah. you get a chance to really think about things to put it down that's why I like it anyway it's sort of like quite 
I've never meditated. So to say it's like meditation is a ridiculous thing to say because I have no idea what it's like to meditate. Um, <laughs> but it's just that sort of concentration on words and language and sounds and feelings and stuff that I really love. Yeah. It's a good answer. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so Slug, you're taking Slug on tour. Is That's May, June, did you say? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers I'm sure crossed. it will be May June. There'll be a couple of like online launches as well, and then some more in October. So yeah, May and June. And the book whatever the up. rules allow. Book comes out in May as well, doesn't it? I've pre-ordered it. Yeah. It's on Waterstones. Um, thanks a lot. People, people go out and pre-order it. Waterstones, and there are other links via your website. Yeah. So there's other links. So at the moment. Um, pre-orders work a bit differently I guess than if they can actually get the books in so you can pre-order it from Waterstones Rough Trade and Mr B's Emporium in Bath so I think it would be nice if just everyone orders it from that little, <laughs> little bookshop sometimes yeah. but yeah so those those three links and you can order it from the jungle if you want as well but I'd rather not yeah and where um, where can people find your stuff if they have discovered you through this and they want to keep keep tabs on your work um so you can just google holly mcnish is probably the easiest thing that's what i do when i forget where i'm meant to be on tour dates i <laughs> <laughs> said um or holly poetry so it's holly with an i e and then poetry so that's the same on twitter instagram facebook youtube yeah the whole world well thank you for sitting down and chatting to me i really really enjoyed it it was definitely worth the wait and as soon as the london tickets go on sale because i think it's on the website but they're not on sale i'm gonna make the, sure. the london is being moved london right. tickets being moved i yeah i said it would be a bit silly to do it when it might not london especially when it yeah. might not be open so it's being moved hopefully to september or october as soon as it gets the green light i'm gonna make sure i nab one so i'm coming come and see you in person because that would be wicked Oh, that would be lovely. Thanks. Thank you, Holly. It's been great. And now Holly kindly shared a new poem from the forthcoming collection Slug with us. Here it is. All right. So I'll read a poem from Slug. Um, I thought <laughs> I'll read this one. I don't really know why I chose this poem, but it's called Parent Bench. I thought of it when you were talking about blunt titles. So this, I guess, is something that I didn't really miss in lockdown. And that is having to make polite conversation with parents that you don't know because your kids start out playing with each other. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes it's really boring being a parent. So I've had really <laughs> rubbish conversations and I've started rubbish conversations as well. So I, I'm both of these people, but yeah, so this is me sort of being jealous of kids whilst being a parent. So yeah, parent bench. Sitting on the bench as the children take turns floating on the zip wire, legs thrashing at the sky. You ask me if I know there's a new Tesco opening up on the Andover Road. No, I say I don't. Yes, you continue. Bigger than the Tesco's on the high street, but not as big as the Tesco's in the retail park, of course. You laugh, I laugh, of course. Sitting on the bench as the children make their way from the zip wire to the roundabout, from the roundabout to the seesaw, from the seesaw to the swings, from the swings to the treetops, from the treetops to the clouds, from the clouds and back down into a frantic game of hide and seek. You tell me that the new Tesco is on the site where Staples used to be. I say, oh, really? You say, yes. You ask if I ever used to shop in that Staples. I say I did because I did. I bought my printer paper there. You say, that's lucky. Tesco sells printer paper.
A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show. If you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at hotmail.com. Call